Hi, it's Michael Shapiro, and welcome back to the Delacorte Review podcast, where in each episode, we talk with writers about the stories they needed to tell and all the things that went wrong on the way to telling them. Greg Graziosi is leaving his hometown, which is Youngstown, Ohio, and this is going to be for the third time. But unlike the first two, he's not really eager to leave. Circumstances have changed. His hometown newspaper, the Youngstown Vindicator, is going out of business. And Greg, who left Youngstown first for Mexico and then for San Diego and for a life outside of Youngstown, returned and became a newspaper reporter at the Vindicator. And now he has to decide what to take and what to leave, which for a writer means which stories he wants to carry with him. So I should explain before we start that this is actually an interesting moment in, the, in, in how our podcast works. Is generally we talk to a writer after the story is done. But at this point, we're talking sort of a little bit about the 60% point. Greg, does that sound about right, about where we are with the story? Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Right. So um, what's interesting, so, you know, we'll, what you'll be hearing is very much kind of a conversation between a writer and an editor, not only in terms of where, you know, what the story is about, but to put it euphemistically, the challenges that lay ahead. So, Greg, tell us about what's it like imagining leaving Youngstown for what may well be the third and last time. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been odd this time because, um, and this is something that's come up over the course of the writing, uh, but the last couple of times that I left, uh, I was younger and I was leaving, um, of my own accord and I was, uh, I was doing it to, you know, just kind of go and adventure, but always with the thought that I'd come back and, uh, be able to tell about, you know, tell my stories to all my friends that were still living here in Youngstown. And this time around, um, it's kind of being forced, not that there weren't some opportunities for me in Youngstown, but in order to really make any kind of forward career movement uh, at all, I needed to, I, I have to leave. Um, I've got relationships now outside of the area that are kind of pulling me out of there too. So there's just a lot of forces that at this moment are really making it difficult to stay in the city. And with the closure of uh, the, you know, the auto plant and everything like that, it doesn't look like the region is necessarily it's going to be a great place to be for, for much longer anyway. So um, I would say this time it, it's tougher because in the last few times it felt like I was setting out on, you know, an adventure, whereas this time I kind of feel like I'm getting run out. And, uh, and so it's markedly different this time around. So I should, you should explain the first time, your first time you left was how old were you? I was, ooh, I think 19 or 20, the first time I left Youngstown. I, uh, I'd gone to school for like about a year and um, I ended up leaving and actually going down to uh, Tijuana, Mexico to go work at a mission down there for a while. And how long did you stay away? I was gone the first time for a little under two years. Then I came back. Uh, I was only back for, I'd say, less than a year before I left again to go live in San Diego with some of the people that I'd met down in Tijuana. And I stayed there for uh, a little over three years. And by the time you, get, you left San Diego as you write, it wasn't exactly pleasant. No, by the time I left San Diego, you know, a lot of my friends out there that I'd made, and, you know, I went to San Diego without a college degree and I went there in the middle, 
like just at the beginning of the recession. So I was one of a lot of people out there that were looking for jobs that had, uh, you know, limited skills. Um, and so a lot of the friends that I ended up making over that time period uh, were in the military. A lot of them got deployed. A lot of people moved away because it just simply got too expensive to live in San Diego. You know, a lot of my friends were Midwest transplants like myself, a lot of people that were in that transitory phase. And so, you know, just as quickly as we all showed up, a lot of us left and I found myself, um, you know, working two menial jobs in a city I couldn't afford to live in with, you know, few friends left. And uh, between that and a few things that pointed, you know, gave me a little bit of direction in terms of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life while I was there it kind of made the decision to, to leave San Diego and head back to Youngstown, you know, pretty easy. And you were sleeping in your car, right, by the time you left San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my last few weeks in San Diego, uh, there, was, there, was, there were two periods of time where I was sleeping in my car. Um, not, not super long. It wasn't like I was in there for, you know, months and months and months. But, yeah, my last few weeks in San Diego, I was sleeping in my car at Mission Beach uh, in a parking lot just down the street from the, uh, from the amusement park there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, at that point, I was like, yeah, I probably ought to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but going back a bit, the the impression I get from what, you, what you've written about Youngstown is that it's a place to leave. It really, it's not a place to, for many people, certainly not everybody, it's not, it, it's not a place that screams future, is it? No, it's not. And that's, you know, the idea of it being a place to leave is it's it's difficult for me to say that because I'm a big Youngstown, you know, a cheerleader. Like I love Youngstown and I love the people that are there and I love, you know, I even think the area is is pretty if you know where to go. But um, yeah, I mean it is, and, and that's the way that life was framed for a lot of us that grew up in Youngstown. Was you know our parents told us that we had to get out of there, you know, go to college and, and just get out, go find anything else. Um, and unfortunately, the fact of the matter is, is that the economy and, um, and, and our future prospects really reinforce that idea, um, that there's, there's nothing there for people. And that isn't, you know, I don't want to gloss over the fact that there has been a lot of really great developments in the city in terms of, uh, downtown development, in terms of city revitalization efforts. There's a lot of good that the people who are choosing to stay are doing, but, on a larger scale, you know, for a lot of people that are out that, you know, with the exception of a few industries, most people, if they're looking for real job growth or, you know, career potential, there's just not a lot of options there. So we should explain this a bit because a lot of listeners may have some notion of Youngstown, but really can't situate it. So first of all, it is sitting, it's, where does it sit geographically? It's right on the border, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much right on the border between uh, eastern Ohio and western Pennsylvania. Uh, it's about an hour, uh, like an hour northeast or northwest of uh, Pittsburgh and uh, more or less 45 minutes to an hour south of Cleveland. So it's right there in the middle of, uh, of, that, of that metropolitan area. It's right on the border, uh, Mahoning Valley, so Youngstown in particular, very gray and cloudy all the time because it sits right in that valley. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's, but it it was historically, you know, it's right on route 80 and was a, something of a midway point between, um, New York and Chicago. And that's kind of where a lot of, uh, the steel industry that, 
was a big part of Youngstown's past, how that kind of took off because of the, the shipping opportunities between that and then obviously Lake Erie and the Ohio River. Uh, there's a lot of transportation hub that kind of came through Youngstown. So this is an important date here, and I, I want to, you know, there's two important dates. So you were born in what year? Uh, 1986. Okay. And in 1977, something happened in Youngstown, and there was a life before 1977, and there was a life in the in, and really formed the world in which you grew up. So we should explain Black Monday. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so Black Monday was the day that it was announced that the, um, the Camel Works plant, which Camel Works plant was a division of Youngstown Sheet and Tube, uh, it was a steel industry. It was a steel company, um, and uh, it was announced that that plant would close. Um, it, at the at once, once all was said and done, I want to say it was more than fifty thousand workers lost their jobs as a result of the closure of the Camel Works plant. Fifty thousand workers would eventually lose their jobs. Correct. And this is in a city that, at that time, if I recall correctly, had a population of roughly about one hundred and fifty thousand. I don't actually, I think it might have been slightly less than that by 77. It had 150,000 at its peak. Okay. But by 77, there had been a little bit of population loss, but still a substantive amount of uh, people there. At least I'd say, I'd say close to 100,000 people. Yeah. So in time, roughly half the population of Youngstown would either lose their jobs or be affected by the, by the closing of this one plant. Because I asked because... There are stories about plant closings all the time. I mean, tragically, sadly, the, the ripple effects of a plant closing. In fact, what we're going to get to is the last story that you would cover for The Vindicator, which is Lordstown. But before we get there, I think it's kind of important to understand in the course of your story, but in also in the course of the story of your story of Youngstown, that there was a world in Youngstown that existed before that Black Monday. And it was a very different world than the one that you knew growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a, that's the world that we heard about from our parents. Uh, you know, people that are you know my age and and older. Um, we heard from our parents and our grandparents about um, you know during the during the, the age when the steel mills were operating. Um, from what I've obviously read about and been told, uh, you know, Youngstown definitely had something of a boom town, but there was a very busy and vibrant nightlife. I remember my mom would always tell me that she didn't like driving through downtown because uh, it looked, you know, dead when, um, and this was, you know, years ago, but she told me that back when she was a girl, they used to have, uh, you know, lights and stuff up in the downtown for like uh, Christmas time decorations. We'd have big trees and all kinds of, you know, uh, the store, uh, like the store windows would be, it would have decorations on the inside. They would do things up. Now contrast that with the downtown that I grew up with in the nineties, which was basically, barred up buildings, uh, you know, empty streets, uh, other than, you know, maybe homeless folk that uh, it's took refuge down there. You know, it's a very different world. Um, but there were lots of jobs in this for the steel industry. I want to say it was estimated that for every one steel job, there were four other jobs that uh, existed as a result. Um, so that was, a, you know, that was the heart of the city um, and really the region, not just the city, but the surrounding region. And so in the years that would follow, I think some, some I remember you citing this, I believe that Youngstown suffered more of a po proportional population loss than any other American city. Basically, the, the city just became effectively, I don't want to say depopulated, 
but essentially everybody, yourself included, kind of left, um, except you came back. So, and what you, and so you should. Ex- Let's talk a little bit about what you came back to, because after San Diego, albeit not always sleeping in the car, but after coming back to San Diego, (laughs) you go back to school, right? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the reasons I came back was I'd started college and I left, uh, I dropped out because I just, I didn't really have much of a direction. There wasn't much that I knew that I wanted to do. And I came back and I decided I wanted to finish it. And this was at, going to school at? at... Youngstown State University. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Part of that was a financial decision uh, because I just I never wanted to take out private loans, and I you know don't come from a, a wealthy background, so I wasn't you know my choices were pretty much limited between going to an affordable state school or not going. Um, so I uh, I decided to go and, and come back to YSU, finish out my degree there, and uh, yeah. So I came back and I was in school, and I was what I found when I when I came back was. Um, it was inspiring a little bit because uh, there had been some movement um, by people in, in different groups to start um, trying to revitalize downtown. There's a little bit of a nightlife starting to form in our downtown section. Uh, there were a few groups that had taken it on themselves to start addressing some of the decades of blight that had resulted from Youngstown's rapid depopulation um, or population loss, rather. Uh, looking at, you know, abandoned houses. There's lots of problems that come from abandoned houses. Not only, you know, are they an eyesore, but eventually they start to fall apart. You get squatters, you get, you know, uh, land contract companies that come in here and, you know, uh, you try to uh, sell predatory contracts to poor people. Um, you get uh, pests, all kinds of things. So the, there are groups going to address those issues. And, and all this was going on, and, and I saw it when I got back, and it was heartening, actually, when, when I first got back to the stuff. You know, it's interesting just to stay on that point for a moment because wanting to see that maybe this place isn't just a disaster that it's portrayed as and want, you know, wanting to believe that things could be okay. And you then basically, you come out of school, you, you had started doing some journalism, you had an, an internship in Arizona, and then you get a job at the Vindy. So. Yes. You should explain what you know. The Vindy is a little bit, as you describe it, is kind of a new. It's kind of a throwback. It was sadly a, a newspaper out of time, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I mean, I, again, I didn't work as a journalist back in the day, but I did work at a more modern, you know, air quotes, I guess, newsroom in the at the Arizona Republic, um, and I saw how that op- operation was run. And I enjoyed my time there. Uh, and the Vindicator was certainly a very different beast. Uh, you know, the Vindicator was, and I don't even think necessarily it was the methods. I think it was the minds. We just had some very old school people there, um, you know, for good and for bad. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot that I did learn that was good from some of my, you know, uh, colleagues who grew up in the, the, or who, you know, really made a name for themselves in the heyday of journalism in the, you know, the 70s and the 80s and, you know, even the early 90s. Um, but, uh, they, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was definitely a paper out of time. Um, but it was our hometown paper and it was a paper that everybody knew. It was, um, okay. I delivered it when I was a kid, you know, I'm one of those guys who delivered the paper and then worked at it later on. Um, 
So yeah, it, it was a very um, it was a very different experience for everything I'd kind of been prepared for in college and from what I got from my internships. Um, but I knew I wanted to do it at least for my first few years. One because I wanted to work in my hometown and I wanted to do you know I got into journalism because I, I thought I could make a difference with it. And so having done that, you know, the place I wanted to make the most difference at was obviously my hometown first. I knew eventually I'd want to move on. Um, you know, just because I'd, I'd want to make more money or explore other markets, explore other topics. Uh, but I definitely wanted to start with the Vindicator. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what led me, you know, firsthand into working at my hometown paper. I want to pivot for a second and talk about the story. And I w- then I want to come back to Lordstown because where, where the story begins and what you began to write about is that in the last days of the Vindicator, you were packing up your desk and deciding what to leave and what to take. And you describe there was this story and that story and memories of this and memories of that. But as we talked about, what it really came down to is that all roads, in a way, led to Lordstown. And we should explain Lordstown. Sure. So Lordstown, um, for anybody that's not familiar with, with Lordstown, it's a uh, it's a township outside of Youngstown um, that... The, the town itself is relatively small. What it's known for is there is a General Motors um, auto assembly plant out there uh, that employed, um, you know, 13, I think uh, each shift was like 13 or there was 13,000 people were just laid off at its most recent, at the announcement, or 3,000 jobs were lost. There was 13,000, I want to say, total that had been employed there. Um, but... Uh, it, it was one of our largest employers in the region, and it had been essentially after the steel mills closed, Lordstown was the fallback. That was what everybody would say you know, when we talk about industry in Youngstown dying is people say, oh, well, you know, at least there's still Lordstown. Um, the UAW and the auto workers uh, had a, obviously a major presence there. Um, and that was a central part of uh, like the GM and the UAW presence were um, – it's a central part of, of, of particularly Lordstown as a geographic entity, but also as um, in the Mahoning County, Trumbull County region that I, that I would collectively call the Mahoning Valley, right? Lordstown was a very important element of that in terms of both providing jobs and providing identity as well. Um, and so with the announcement of that closure, uh, and I talk about this obviously in the story as well, but with the announcement of that closure, um, it was a lot of a lot of people had that same feeling as though we were seeing you know that kind of that second black monday that was coming uh it was like you know watching a storm forming on the horizon after you were still picking up the debris from the last one uh and and you just go oh no like this is this is very bad so you come back to youngstown you come back to the newsroom and at this point something else is going on and that is that newsroom is getting emptier isn't it yes yeah we had uh We'd slowly been losing people, and I mean, this was it was this wasn't something new. Uh, you know, we people the newsroom had been getting emptier and emptier since I you know I imagine the you know the 90s, um, but now we were at the point where we weren't replacing people. So when we lost our business reporter, um, one of us just ended up having to pick up the business beat, or it got chunked up, and we each took aspects of the business beat, and our um, our uh, the the reporter who was covering business primarily at that point 
Um, and so who would have covered the Lordstown story? She, uh, she reported the story of the day of the closure announced was announced, but she had recently picked up a job to go to the plane dealer. And so we knew that she was going to be leaving soon, just as all of this Lordstown stuff was happening. And that meant that the Lordstown story was going to fall to one of us that remained. And I, I, was pretty sure that it was going to end up falling to me, and I was right in that assumption. Right. And there are moments like that in, in a journalist's life when you go, please let the story fall to me, or please don't let the story fall to me, that there are some stories, not that you don't want to cover it, but this is going to be too painful. Did you want that story to fall to you? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I, I mean, I did in terms of it being historic and it being – and I will say this, the – the issues involved in the Lordstown story, I, I don't particularly love writing about business in terms of like the ins and outs of business, but I do love writing about labor. And the Lordstown story is a labor story at heart. Um, so I, uh, in terms of that, I, I definitely was hoping that I would get to be the one to write about it. And the only thing that did keep me from from wanting it was exactly what you said was that it, it was going to be it was going to be painful to cover you know i was going to have to go out and make myself a pain in the ass to all of these workers who are you know fighting for their jobs um who probably the last thing they want is to talk to some guy about how bad it feels to get laid off uh and that that was the job that i was about to do you know so when did the i remember the the camera crews left i think the last story that was told nationally was the image of the last car coming off the assembly line, right? Yes. Yeah, what what kind of car was that? Do you remember? Chevy Cruze. A Chevy Cruze is the last one. And that would have been in when? That would have been uh, right around the beginning of March. Okay. Probably the first few days of March, if I have to recall. And at this point, and when, do you, and when does word come down that the paper is going out of business? Uh, I believe it was the beginning of June because we had to have, I think it was right at the beginning of summer. It was either the beginning of June or beginning of July. Um, but yeah, it was right at the beginning of summer. See, what I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about the story as well, what we're talking about with Young Center and Lordstown and the paper, that all these things are coming together at once. And yet the irony is that never, probably since 1977, Never was that newspaper more needed by the people of Youngstown and the surrounding area than it was at that, in the last months of its life. I mean, is that too much of an exaggeration? Uh, you know, I would say probably not. I mean, that was the, the closure of Lordstown is the biggest thing that we've dealt with, I would say, since Black Monday. I, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else. We've obviously there's been other important things, but that's a huge deal. And not only that, but earlier that just, just prior to that, we'd also lost one of our hospitals. We were down to one hospital. Um, so yeah, we had two major institutions shut down within a year's span of each other. So I, I, I would say, no, that's not an exaggeration to say that at that point in time, it was important for us to be. And what you're talking about a lot in the stories that you're doing were we've got to, in a sense, we've got to report the news that's going to, that's going to help this town and the, and the towns around it through this, I mean, we've got to tell them what's going on. Because no one else is going to do it, right? No one else is going to be telling these stories. Absolutely. Um, you know, and there's I, a lot of my colleagues have gone on after the closure of the paper to go 
and work for, uh, you know, other publications that are certainly going to be trying to do that. And, and I hope that they do. And, and obviously, I wish them luck in all of that. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that was what we did was we dug into those stories. And it's obviously different from reporting for TV, because a lot of times we can you know spend that time and dig into stories the way that you just really can't on TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was it. Nobody else is the only time people really come to Youngstown is if they're talking about, uh, you know, swing state election politics during the or, or they need it for the post-industrial, you know, backdrop or whatever. But otherwise, and the, those smaller stories, yeah, that falls on us. What was the last one you did? The last story you did? My very last story. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I, I'll, I'll say, because I probably did a couple of small things here and there near the very end. But the last major story that I did was about a, um, it was about a Jamaican immigrant who came up to the U.S., and uh, moved to a really bad uh, part of the um, the south side. Built a house. He was a, he was a trades guy. Trained and traded a trade school in, in down near Kingston, Jamaica. And he uh, he came up. He completely renovated a house that otherwise would have been knocked down. And then he started renovating all the houses around him and bringing his family and friends up here. And essentially, like these, these houses that had been abandoned in an area of the city that is considered pretty dangerous. He essentially created the neighborhood that he wanted to see for himself uh, in this area. And, uh, you know, he had, a, he had an aquaponic system that he built for himself and like a tilapia fish farm. It was wild. But I, I told that guy's story. And it was, it was a good story to end on because my fear with the paper closing was that, you know, there wasn't going to be, one, people to tell stories like his, but two, that with all of the things that were kind of crumbling around the area, uh, there wasn't going to be a voice to address, um, to address those issues and to, and, and to speak to people's needs. Right. Um, and, and even though, you know, obviously one guy can't save a whole city, Michael, this, that's his, the guy's name was Michael or, um, or William rather, William, William Johnson. Uh, he, his story was, was, uh, inspiring because this was a guy who, with, with all of this stuff crumbling, he came to Youngstown and started building something for himself amidst all the rubble, right? And so, uh, you know, I don't know. I thought it was a good story to end on. Thanks for listening. This has been the Delacorte Review Podcast. Our producer is Katie Ferguson. Our editor is Mike Hoyt, senior editor, Sissy Falligant, associate editor, Natasha Rodriguez. And we'd be hopeless and helpless without our two wonderful interns, Andrew Wang and Maddie Natelli. Thanks a lot.